Oh God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this, this beautiful message of life and hope and peace in a world that's ripped apart by sin and death uh, and, and, and anger. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that your spirit has been given to help us just uh, understand and marvel at the things that are true. And so bless us now as we, as we open your word in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, just looking at verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And notice there's four pronouns in that verse and I'm just going to touch on those four pronouns. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, there's another uh, his as well, but that's, um, we're going to catch him twice. I'm um, just going to focus on these four individuals because they're really the essential characters of Christmas are found in this one verse. Uh, you have uh, the angel speaking to Joseph, and, and uh, the angel has a message for him about her and about the son that's going to be born, and it's a message for us as well. Uh, the first pronoun I want to notice is, uh, point out is just she. She shall bear a son, and that, that of course, is a reference to Mary. Uh, Mary, this young peasant girl from the hill country of Galilee. Uh, she's not a mythical figure. Uh, she's a real uh, flesh and blood uh, young girl, probably in her mid-teens, 14, 15, uh, would, is, is most likely possibly younger, but that's about when the age um, girls were married in those days. Uh, we don't know much about her. Um, the Roman Catholic Church makes a great deal about Mary, and it's right for us to be so thankful to God for her, but we're, we know very little about her in the biblical story. Um, she's a, just a, there's nothing un, particularly unique about her, nothing noteworthy. She lives uh, an unremarkable childhood in an unremarkable little village in a, in a very, very uh, unremarkable part of the world, uh, the, the hill country of Galilee. Um, in, in the eyes of the world, Mary matters not in the, in the least, and not at all. And, but in the eyes of God, she's found favor. Uh, God has uh, called Mary to this incredible task of bearing not just a child uh, in this miraculous manner, but bearing the child, to bear the Messiah, the Son of God. This is, of course, the highest privilege any Jewish woman could ever receive. It's the highest privilege any woman could ever receive. Um, to, to be given the, the privilege uh, of, of bearing the, the child that was promised uh, back since Genesis 3.15. Not just a privilege, but also this incredible responsibility. How many of you ladies, uh, when you had your first child particularly, um, and, and they ushered you out of the hospital, and you find yourself standing there on the sidewalk thinking, with a live baby in your arm, and you're, and you're, you're asking yourself, what makes them think that I'm going to be able to keep this thing alive and healthy and, and fed? Right? It's a living being right here, and they're just sending me home. Well, um, Mary is not just with a firstborn child, but Mary is the Messiah in her arms. And they, right? And no one's even there to give her a little instruction booklet. It's just, here you are. The Messiah, Son of God. The one that Israel's been longing for and praying for for all these years. Uh, this baby is being born to you. And, and Mary doesn't shrink back in fear. Mary rejoices. You, you can uh, read her song in Luke chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Unremarkable Mary, and holy is his name. Uh, one of the uh, people on the top of my list of people I want, I want to talk to when I get to heaven is Mary. Just to hear her story uh, and what it must have been like to, have, to give birth to the Messiah and then to, to raise him. Um, with some sense, not fully of course, but some sense of who he was. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful story that Mary has to tell. And then the second pronoun to notice is you. Referring to Joseph, another man we know even less about. Uh, Joseph was um, probably in his maybe 30 men waited to, to uh, establish themselves a bit financially so they could take on the responsibilities of providing uh, a living. And um, he belongs to the house of David. He says he's a, a carpenter, probably a stone cutter, a mason of some sort is, is most likely his trade. Um, but we're, we're told some things about him. We're told, we, we get the clear indication that he's a godly man, a kind man, um, but he's certainly also a grieving man. Um, his bride, his betrothed, was found to be with child. It's a devastating development, in, particularly in that culture. Nowadays, it, it really, in our, in our culture, it, it, there's really no scandal at all uh, associated in our culture. But this is an honor-based society in Mary and Joseph's day. This is um, a society where your name and your reputation, uh, it, re it really matters well, it matters more than anything. And not just your name, but your family name. And Mary has brought shame to the family. Of course, uh, at least that's what the family thinks, right? Her pregnancy is irrefutable evidence to anyone with two eyes that Mary has been unfaithful, that Mary has been immoral. She has shamed herself. She's shamed her family. It's a moral debacle in the community. It's a horrific event, right? Everyone would know about it. They would be talking about it. And everyone would understand, not only understand, but most likely applaud. Many would applaud, at least, if, if Joseph had shamed her publicly, if he had uh, gone to the synagogue and named her as an adulterous woman. There would have been so many uh, men who would have uh, applauded that as an act of integrity. Uh, what righteous men should do. Right? We, we can't have this sort of thing going on in the community. But Joseph was not that kind of man. He's a kind man. And we're told that he did not want to put her to shame. And so he purposed in his mind to divorce her quietly. He certainly couldn't move forward with the marriage. But God was gracious to Joseph as well. And God shows up in the person of the angel. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is, is uh, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now again, we know this story so well that we, we can reread those lines and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened, Mary. Mary was, con, uh, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We're used to the idea of a virgin birth. Well, Joseph never heard of such a thing. Never imagined such a thing. He may be, he might have known about the Isaiah prophecy, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, but surely that was metaphorical. It was an analogy. It was a, it was a picture of something. That, that this child was, was, was unique, special, not like other, other men in, in some way. But, but now his, his betrothed is with child, and, 
and the angel speaks of a literal true virgin birth. You'd be surprised what a stumbling block this still is to people. Uh, it just, this is just one of those nonsensical things this, uh, you know, that Christians like to talk about, but everyone knows uh, the world doesn't work this way. There are, there are um, famed theologians who will, who will confidently say, we know this, this isn't historically true. It's not, it's not literally uh, accurate because babies aren't born that way. Well, the angel said that's how it happened, and Joseph believed that's how it happened, which is astonishing. Joseph, he took the angel's word for it. Even though no one around him would understand, his friends would scoff at him. His friends would, would most likely just think he's being a fool. But Joseph ex- believes the message, and accepts the role that he's called to play in this great drama of redemption, because the angel has a job for him. You shall call his name Jesus. Didn't just give Joseph information, but, but Joseph, you're going to be a part of this process. By, by telling Joseph that uh, he, he's going to name the child, it's not just this is what the, boy's, the, son, the, the child's name is going to be, but this is your role. Joseph, you're the father figure. This is what fathers do. Fathers have the responsibility to name the child. And, and uh, the, the angel Gabriel is giving uh, Joseph this calling. Though you are not the biological father, you have the role of the father. And when you go on the eighth day to the temple or to, and, the, and uh, Jesus is circumcised there, the, the priest is going to look at you and he's going to say, what's his name? And you are to say, Jesus. His name is Jesus. Read an interesting article a couple years ago. Um, said why wasn't Je- why wasn't he named Emmanuel? Because Matthew noticed in the very next verse, well, that's what the prophet said he would be called. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So, do we have a contradiction here in the Bible? Um, why 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 isn't why doesn't the angel say his name will be Emmanuel? Well, uh, the, the the author went on to say, well. The, the, the fact is that Jesus has many titles giving, given to him in the Old Testament. He's called the Morning Star, Lord Our Righteousness, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. He's called the Son of Man. Uh, one person thought that he could find 50 different titles related to Jesus in the Old Testament. Rock, Refuge, uh, Redeemer. Uh, they, they all point to different aspects of Jesus' person and his ministry, his work. But this title, this name captures the essence of Jesus. Oh, Jesus has many titles uh, because, because he's, he's the greatest person right in the history of the world. Caesars would give themselves many titles, and they're just pretenders. Jesus, the Son of God, is given all these titles, but one name captures the essence of Jesus, and it's the most beautiful name. It's the name Jesus, and the angel tells him exactly why he's going to have this name, and the reason is he shall save his people from their sins. It captures the essence of who Jesus is and why he came. Let's look at that pronoun he. Uh, the name Jesus, as you know, is taken from the Hebrew word, which means to deliver, to rescue. It's a dramatic word. It, it gets its meaning in the context of danger, of peril. So when you, when you, when you uh, watch the news and someone is dramatically rescued from a burning building or rescued from, uh, you know, their car has gone over into the river and is sinking and someone comes and rescues them from certain death, that's the word. 
That's who Jesus is. It's a, it's a word, it's a name that reflects the rescuing power and love of our God. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. That's what Jesus means. And in that, Jesus is the most perfectly named baby in all the world. People sometimes wonder, why, why did my parents name me whatever? What's it supposed to mean? Well, this name answers all the questions. Never has a name meant so much and, and been so glorious, gloriously fulfilled as the name of Jesus. This boy conceived of the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is God himself come to rescue mankind. And not just mankind, but in rescuing mankind to rescue the creation that we have ruined because of our sin. This, this Jesus is going to come and, and do war with the devil. This Jesus is going to come and crush the serpent's head. This is a, this is a fantastic, um, dramatic story of rescue. One of the things that I was just thinking about uh, when, when Elizabeth, Elizabeth was sharing her story, one of the common mistakes that we make and that preachers make uh, when we read the Bible is we try, to, we try to read it and think about how do we bring God into our story. So, so what, how does this truth matter in, in, in my story? And how is it supposed to make me feel? How do we get God, to, in order to make the, the story relevant, how do we bring this story into my story? Well, it's just backwards. The, scripture is written to bring us into God's story. Right? To bring us into what God is doing, what God has accomplished, what God promises and, and, and that's exactly what we need to see when we, when we hear this, this name, Jesus. This is God's story of rescue. And he's inviting us to take that story as our story. He's bringing us up into that story to realize that we are the ones who've been rescued. And there's a wonderful certainty. Notice the angel does not say, you shall call his name Jesus, because he's going to try his very best to save his people from their sins. It's not what he says. He will save. There's absolute certainty, conviction. This is irrefutable, immutable. This can't be undone. It, it, there's an unshakable uh, confidence here. He will save. And that conviction is proven true at the end of Jesus' life on the cross when he says those beautiful words to tell us die. It is finished. It's finished. He did save. The task was accomplished. The salvation of God's elect was, was done. Jesus had saved his people from their sins. And that brings us to the last pronoun. There. He will save his people from their sins. We are the, uh, the direct object of the action, aren't we? Um, the recipients of the salvation. We need to notice the angels, his words here tell us three things. First, Jesus has a people. He will save his people from their sins. Um, one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is the, the knowledge that we belong to Jesus. I love Paul's uh, greeting in Romans chapter 1, verse 6. To all those in, in Rome, loved by God, called to be saints, a call to belong to Jesus. Called to belong to Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? Who do you belong to in this world? Well, you belong to your parents, boys and girls. Uh, you belong to your family. You belong to your company, maybe. You belong to Harvest Church. But all that's, all that's fleeting and passing away. 
There's one, there's one um, relationship, one belonging that matters eternally. I belong to Jesus, right? I'm not my own. I belong, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has a people. When Jesus prays, um, he prays to the Father for those that you've given to me. They belong to me. They're mine. I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus has a people. They're his. But they are all sinful people, sinning people. There, you see, he will save his people from their sins. There is a possessive pronoun. It shows ownership. It links the people and the perversion. It says very clearly that, that the sins that Jesus came to deal with are our sins. The things that we've done, we've said, we've committed, we have broken God's holy law. And these sins belong to us. They have our name on them. We did them or we failed to do them. And the wonderful news of Christmas is that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Not sin generically, certainly not other people's sins against us. We don't need to be saved from that. We need to be saved from our sin, the judgment that we deserve because of the things that we've, we've done that have offended God's law and God himself. And that's the Christmas story. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of Mary, raised by Joseph, came to save his people, given to him by the Father, from their sin, from our sin. So my question for you this afternoon is simply this. Is this the Christmas that you know? Is this the Christmas that you celebrate? Are you in this story? Have you believed in Jesus to this end? Have you taken your stand on this, this beautiful historical rock, this objective fact, this grand rescue that God has inaugurated in Jesus Christ? And isn't that a reason to be glad? We all face troubles and trials in life. And a year's coming and God alone knows the, the, the heartaches and the hardships and, and, the, and the, um, the, the stresses, anxieties, whatever that we're going to face. And yet, yet we have something to stand on. We have not just a stand on for strength, but something to rejoice in, something to have hope in, to have peace because it's true. Jesus Christ, friends, the Son of God, came into this world to save you from your sin and to make you His forever. Is that good news? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, what an incredible story. We're just people made of flesh and blood like everyone else here on this planet. And, and Lord, if you had left us to our ignorance and blindness and unbelief and our sin, you would have been perfectly just to do so. And yet, God, you've shown the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, where there was nothing but darkness. Oh, God, you brought us into light and you gave us life in Jesus by faith in him. And Father, I, again, I pray that if there be anyone here uh, this afternoon who does not know Jesus in this way, oh God, may they see their desperate need for rescue and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can rescue them and give them eternal life and give them joy and peace in believing in Jesus. 
Oh, we thank you, O God, for your goodness to us in Christ. A goodness that we experience today, but we are going to experience in fullness and glory in the life to come. And we look forward to that great day. Till then, Lord, keep us singing and trusting and believing and rejoicing as we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. All my heart this night rejoices. benediction and then we're going to close a silent night holy night and then we've got uh, coffee and hot chocolate and snacks in the back 
uh, for a time of fellowship together. Thank you again for, for coming out as uh, we get to do this together, not just on our own, in our own heart, but as the family of the Lord Jesus. And receive now the blessing of your God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you. Till Christ come again, amen.